Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Warrior Podcast. This is Sherry Beck, and today I'm speaking with Cherie Tham. Cherie is the co-founder and vice president of programs and initiatives for the nonprofit based in Georgia called America's Warrior Partnership. Cherie, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, welcome to Behind the Warrior. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me here today. You are welcome. So tell me where you grew up and what led you to having a desire to help people. Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, And I went and got my undergraduate degree in social work from what at that time was called Northeast University. And it's now LSU at Monroe. I got my undergrad. I knew that the field of social work was where my heart and passion always was. So I was one of those fortunate people that coming right out of high school um, kind of knew the, the vocation, the field that, that I wanted to explore further. Um, I went and graduated uh, with my undergrad, my bachelor's of social work. And then um, I applied to the University of Alabama for my master's degree in social work. Um, it was during that time that the uh, University of Alabama had a program where we could do a internship in Washington, D.C. Um, so I went to uh, Washington, D.C., and I worked for, um, at that time, with Senator John Burrow, um of Louisiana. And I worked on the Patients' Bill of Rights and TANF reauthorization. While I was there particularly around TANF reauthorization. I had done a lot of work um, throughout social work uh, master's program um, looking at uh, those that were eligible for AFDC, which was our original um, social welfare policy, and then changed to TANF. Um, and it was up for, TANF was up for reauthorization. And I, I remember sitting in uh, several committee meetings, listening to um, research of research of research, and trying to ensure that the uh, reauthorization of TANF would be effective and useful to the population for which it was going to be established. Um, so I, I asked the senator if it would be okay if I spent a part one day a week of my internship um, at that time, at the homeless shelter um, in Washington, D.C., um, it was at that point the largest homeless shelter in the United States. It was about 1,350 beds, if my memory serves me correctly. And it was, it was a place where the individuals could stay for six months um, before they had to find additional housing or, or an additional place to stay. So I went there one day a week and I would talk to the residents um, at CCNB and ask them, you know, what their experience was with TANF and had they been on AFDC and what was good about AFDC that wasn't with TANF and 
various and sundry other questions, um, as you might imagine, around assisting in, in uh, working on that bill. After I graduated um, with my master's degree, I then moved into um, CCNV, homeless shelter, for uh, what I call like a Jane Goodall type experience to Mm -hmm. just submerge myself in a population and learn, um, learn from that population. Um, That was my first experience around uh, former uh, service members. My dad um, served in the Navy. My grandfather served in the Navy. My uncle served in the Navy, Um, but I, I didn't experience the, they did not retire from the Navy. So it wasn't a culture that I was familiar with. Um, I worked with those uh, elderly, uh, elderly male population, and I had about 75 that I worked with on my caseload. And a large percentage of them, I want to say about 80, 85 percent of them were former service members having served in Vietnam and, and Korea. Then about so this was this was around August that I'm I graduated and moved in in, in 2011. Um, September 11th uh, happened um, in DC and the well all over the world actually um, but I was in DC and uh, I had actually it was a non-paid placement at the homeless shelter. So I was working at um, the Sheraton in Crystal City uh, on the day of, of September 11th, and uh, the homeless shelter, uh, I called it, turned into almost a triage center, mm-hmm. and um, we were, uh, there were services and everything that was available at the, at the hotel for, for family members and, and um to support the efforts around September 11th. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I got introduced into really submerge, I guess you'd say, into the military um, former service member arena. Mm-hmm. Understood. Uh, did your time in Crystal City at the hotel, I mean, that was specifically for the folks at the Pentagon and the families there, is that correct? It was post mm-hmm. on September 11th. Mm-hmm. That's correct, Sherry. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, what an experience and introduction into uh, your career field that led you to yet another path, which, um, you know, meeting Jim Lorraine, uh, who is the founder of America's Warrior Partnership. But how did you meet him and what what did? How did you guys collaborate in an effort to establish America's Warrior Partnership? I, after I left uh, DC, I I spent time um, in Alabama working um, child advocacy work. Uh, went back, re- returned back to Tuscaloosa, and uh, actually took a job at the University of Alabama and. And worked in uh, fostering. Um, I was recruited during that time to England and work for a local authority in England on their fostering and adoption team. And was there for about four years. And during that time, England was starting 
Head Start, which we're familiar with in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, they called it Sure Start. <laughs> so I, I moved away from the fostering and adoption team and, and built the Sure Start program in the, in the borough for which I was, I was working at that time. I returned back to Baton Rouge to care for my grandmother and um, got married and moved to Aiken, South Carolina. And I had spent um, a little over, you know, two years being a care caregiver for my grandmother and, and then moved to a new place and actually really just didn't know what I wanted to do in, in social work anymore. And, and I wanted, I wanted to get into, um, I loved my job. I loved the work that I did in the UK and the experience. And I didn't know what that would look like uh, to reciprocate that um, in a new environment. So I took some contract work and, and one of the contractual um, works that I did was at the Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center here in Augusta, Georgia. There was a contract out with an organization called Hope House who was building a transitional housing facility for veterans at the Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center. And I was asked to build the program around that transitional housing facility. It was during that time that I was being introduced to uh, partners in, in the local area who were working in the veteran space and supporting the veteran space. And, and needed to learn from them what their experience was around how we could build a program for transitional housing that would meet the needs of the local community. It was through that that um, I was introduced to Jim Lorraine, who had just started, um, who had just started himself with uh, a local veterans organization here in Augusta. Um, he had taken that organization um, over from uh, Lori Yacht, who was the the founder of of the organization, and he he during that time was awarded a subcontract for what's known as the SSVF program, which is a supported services for veteran families. Um, through discussions and, and, and meetings, uh, it became um, clear to Jim that I had talked about my experience at CCNV and he got this subcontract and asked me if I would come work for at that time was uh, called Augusta Warrior Project. Come work there because of my experience in, in the housing area that I had worked in in Washington, D.C. to house, um, house homeless veterans under the SSVF grant. And that was my introduction into, um, into what is now America's Warrior Partnership. Mm -hmm. And how long ago was that, Cherie? <laughs> It was October 3rd, 2011, Sherry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, time flies, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, I know that America's Warrior Partnership does, you know, phenomenal work nationwide. Um, and, you know, really, I remember it being sort of a grassroots startup and, 
tell us where where it is now and and the ultimate what is the mission i guess of america's warrior partnership the mission of america's warrior partnership is to empower communities to empower veterans now that is very very high level mm-hmm. um where it started we were a local community organization uh jim developed a model that that uh we use today and it was a four-step plan model uh, to uh, connect, educate, advocate, and collaborate. And that is not meant to be uh, one way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to connect with veterans. It's to connect with partners. It's to educate veterans. It's to educate partners and, and so on and so forth. Um, we then, then it was my responsibility to then take that model and implement it into the community um, around that, around uh, housing and homelessness. Um, from that, we built on to support around veterans who are in schools, veterans who are in businesses, veterans, what you would consider diversifying the veteran population throughout the entire community. Um, we had tremendous results from that, um, that model and that effort. And um, in 2013, um, Wounded Warrior Project asked if we would be able to replicate that across other communities in the United States. Uh, and they would fund us to do so. So that is what we did in 2013, which is where we Changed to America's Warrior Partnership as a national nonprofit, mm-hmm. and we just continue to support communities and leadership um, in those communities to to empower their veterans in their community. Right, right, and and it is a collaborative effort, as you stated. You know, you working with the veteran service officers in the local communities, um, just various organizations. Um, you know, connecting veterans to resources that could be very valuable to not only end potentially their homelessness, if that is their their situation, but help find, um, you know, something that's uh, interesting to them to pursue an education or career or job or or. I mean, many, many things. So it's, it's multi, multi-level sort of, uh, organization there where you try to capture it all, which is cool. Absolutely. And you've got it, it, there's no one person or one organization that can do it all. You Mm -hmm. know, collaboration is so key, um, in supporting any population, but particularly, you know, this population, um, in, in the community areas. And it's not, it's not, It's also the outreach component that is so valuable is not waiting for a veteran to come to our our NGOs, our VSOs um, when they're in crisis, but to get ahead of it and be known that this that that, you know, if if any if you become unemployed or you become homeless or you become anything um, that that is going to affect your quality of life that there's a resource that can help you navigate um, to c- keep your trajectory moving forward um, when you have hiccups. Right, right. And also something that you mentioned um, a little bit earlier, and I just want to reiterate too, is that 
you know, while no one organization can do everything, it requires a lot of collaboration between nonprofit entities uh, working across the aisle with people. And, but also, no veteran is the same either. So having the ability to look beyond just what a checklist may be um, and really drilling down to what the needs are of the veteran is so helpful. And uh, yeah. I'm sure it contributes to the success of your program for sure. Absolutely. One size fits one. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I know that you have been working on a special program for several years now called Operation Deep Dive. Can you just tell our listeners what the mission is? And then I'll follow up with various questions just to drill down a little further. But um, this is very intriguing to me. And, and I hope our listeners will, um, you know, just pay attention and understand. And um, I, at some point, maybe there would be an opportunity for our listeners to actually write in questions and send to me and, and we could potentially have a follow-up, you know, like Q&A session or what have you. But um, I would love for you to share what Operation Deep Dive is all about, Cherie. Absolutely. So Operation Deep Dive, we've been working on for about four years now. And we, fit, we do a lot of work in the community, as I, I've discussed, and we wanted to see what the difference between one community is to another community relevant to the culture, the community, the community support as a whole around death by suicide and non-natural causes. Um, that data we were unable to obtain. So it was at that point that we were funded by uh, Bristol Myers Squibb Foundation to start exploring that information. The overall mission, if I, if I simply state it, is to determine what community factors we can find and leverage to support our veterans in their community that gives them a sense of, of health and well-being when, you know, when they're struggling. That it's not just shouldered on mental health professionals, but that the community as a whole is there for them. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. And um, you touched a little bit, I guess, maybe about the importance or the, the purpose of it, but Let's drill down on that. So who are you reaching out to um, for information or to, to conduct this study? Because I also understand that the University of Alabama is involved in this project, too. So if you can share the purpose, like maybe restate the purpose in regards to the non-natural causes of death and those who complete suicide and, and who is involved in this process with you. Sure. So we've actually developed a interview instrument, um, and we are asking family members and friends of those who have lost um, former service members to to suicide, but not just suicide. Mm -hmm. Also, um, overdose, asphyxiation, drowning, accidental gunshot, death by law enforcement high-speed, single-driving car accident, as those other non-natural causes are construed as probable suicide by the literature. 
Mm-hmm. And in an initial stages of looking at Operation Deep Dive and how we, the University of Alabama and ourselves would be looking at the data, we noticed that if a coroner medical examiner could err on the side of not documenting it as suicide and could err on the side of accidental, then, then they would do that for various reasons, as you may as you may know, stigma being the number one for mm-hmm. the family and um, and in some cases uh, insurance um, insurance problems around uh, death death benefits. Mm-hmm. So that's where we extended extended that out to make sure that we're capturing uh, risky behavior or self harm um, is also used. And so what we're doing is we're asking family members, friends, people who knew someone who died by suicide and those other non-natural causes to contact us so that we can interview them about the last year of their loved one's life. We do have, uh, we do have, we can, we can do it throughout the anybody who died, you know, that former service member who died throughout the United States. We are um, they're eligible. Uh, the interviewees must be over the age of 18. And the death had to have occurred within a two year time frame. And the reason for that piece is 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 around remembering details. And we want to look at the details around their community interaction, the military identity, what <clears throat> what are contributing factors that we could have gotten ahead of this in their community. Okay. So that that is what we're we're actively actively looking for right now. Okay. So for for our listeners out there, I think clarifying that you have experts on the other side of the of the telephone that are conducting the interviews um can you can you touch on that just a little bit yes so we have so the ones conducting the interviews um uh they're called research assistants but they're all they do all have um uh backgrounds psychology Mm -hmm. sociology um and social work and uh it's it's about a two-hour interview um it's it's a it could be longer it could be shorter it could be broken up into multiple times um it's a it's a safe protected space for that interview to be conducted at the comfort of the individual that is providing the information. Mm-hmm. So when I say two hours, if an interview is being conducted 30 minutes into it, the person says, I need to reconvene another time. That is completely, completely accessible, uh, not accessible. <laughs> that's, that's okay to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also an individual, if they find that, that they start doing the interview and they do not want to continue. They can withdraw at any time, and um, and so we we have those safety nets built in for for the interviewee. Okay, all right, and it's important for folks to also understand that 
um, no one from your team for the Operation Deep Dive project is reaching out to the community. It, the The information is available, and it's really up to um, individuals that are interested in helping with the study to reach out to Operation Deep Dive. Am I correct in saying that? You are correct, Sherry. We <clears throat> we cannot contact people directly okay. to ask them if they want to be interviewed. Um, that's why this podcast is so important and, and other, other, you know, your you, the people that you work with directly, mm-hmm. you have a relationship with them. Um, and there's that trust, you know, that's, that you have with those that you work with. And then there's the trust that you have with, with operation deep dive. So that, that is how, that you know, there's the talk, you know, expressing or just informing that this resource is, you know, is out there uh, to be interviewed. That that it's uh, that it's you know, we call it research, and it is research. But I look at this more as a resource for families um, as as they're going through their journey of grief around the loss, families and friends, as they're going through their journey of of grief and loss mm-hmm. around what happened, and how can I, as an interviewee, assist in moving away, not moving away from, but moving from awareness around suicide to I can be a part of the action that may save another life. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think, you know, um, it's, it's a very raw and real, um, situation that nobody wants to be a part of. And, um, but the reality is, is that I think as a society, you know, the, the topic of suicide and prevention and awareness and all those things are, you know, so much in our face, uh, constantly. And, um, you know, our community in particular, the EOD community has suffered great loss this year, um, by unnatural causes or by suicide. And in, in my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion, it's like, why not? Why not try something else that might be able to drill down to, you know, um, another, um, I don't know, community factor, or, or maybe it was a financial factor. Maybe it was, you know, relationship, or maybe it was addiction. Maybe it was something. But to try and have, or to try and work towards finding more answers about the reason why, because I think we always have more questions than answers when it comes to um, suicide or or an unnatural cause of death. So, why not? And and for folks out there listening, if this is something that's of interest to you, I would encourage you to to contact Operation Deep Dive. Certainly, um, all of that information will be put on the podcast as well as a resource. But at this stage of such incredible and great loss, um, why not? And it, it's certainly, um, I don't know, it's a different approach and uh, appreciate the forward thinking about it. Yeah, and I, I think I think one thing that's really different about about this is the how not as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, determining determining the why. 
um, may be very different for for several people, may be similar. You mm-hmm. know, we, we may have trends in it. But the question is, you know, how not? How do we as communities, as as employers, as teachers, as, as those without a mental health background, um, recognize <clears throat> that someone is hurting and and feel comfortable with engaging that individual appropriately. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of the information is confidential, is that correct? I mean, the conversation, all of that sort of information is is confidential as far as um, what you further share with like the University of Alabama to put all of the results and everything together. Right. So, so the interview is confidential. Um, It is de-identified when, when it is um, shared with the University of Alabama for analysis. It also has a level of confidentiality between, um, it's very important that we get three to four individuals who knew the, that former service member to be interviewed in order to get a complete um, narrative around that individual. Um, everyone knows people differently. Right. My mom knows me differently than my dad knows me differently than my husband knows me differently than my and so forth and so on. So getting that getting that the nuances and the differences of the relationships that people have is is key. Mm -hmm. Now, the interviews, if if we are interviewing the three to four people individually, they don't even know what the others are saying we are not we are not to share we do not share what others have said mm-hmm. when asked the same questions and we do not present a profile if you will after we've completed three or four of that individual veteran mm-hmm. it's an aggregate that that we will share of all the interviews that we've done understood yeah because you really are looking for trends looking for trends and you want to, you want to protect, it's very important to protect, um, the relationships that, that people had with, with those that they lost. Of and course. we recognize that. Of course. I mean, it's, it's with respect and understanding how difficult that must be to have a conversation about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I know I've, I've kind of touched on, uh, a little bit about the University of Alabama, but can you tell us what their involvement is in publishing the study and the results? Sure. So they're our analytic partner, and a part of that uh, that team um, at UA, we also have consultants um, to two suicidologists. One is Dr. Eric Kane. He's one of the leading suicidologists. Um, in the United States, and he is one of the consultants around um, what does it all mean, the qualitative data uh, that we're gathering. And then Dr. Phil Smith um, is also a consultant. Uh, Dr. Kane is with the University of Rochester, and Dr. Smith is with University of Alabama at Huntsville. Okay. So 
you're hoping to find trends and and different things with the information. And how long do you anticipate that this will take um, to conduct the studies? And how long is it, uh, you know, what is the window of time that people can actually reach out and contact you? But also, how long do you anticipate it taking for this information to actually be, you know, published for, you know, uh, our eyes to see? For the interviews, it's all dependent on how many interviews we are getting. That That's where it's very, very important to... I mean, we can start analyzing preliminarily, right? Mm-hmm. But to to really, really uh, have a a good deep perspective is is to have uh, enough data from interviews that we can start looking at those those trends, and we mm-hmm. can start seeing uh, how different communities vary, right? And um, Back to the one size fits one. I mean, what what we may obtain from interviews in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for example, as compared to Buffalo, New York, as compared to Orange County, California, the prevention strategy or how that community mobilizes may look different. It may have some similar foundation. But again, each community is different in how they can support what we're learning around the residents of Mm -hmm. that community. So that being said, doing a really, really uh, big push to be able to have people come forward. Um, We recognize that this is a very vulnerable conversation and, and we respect that. Um, And, uh, but as the interviews, as the interviews come in, that, that's the, that's, we've, that's the pivotal piece. Mm-hmm. I look at preliminary preliminary analysis. Um, we could probably start reporting in about a year, um, but major major findings around this qualitative data. I would say two years. Mm-hmm. Understood, and. The data that you actually receive will be shared with the community, the communities in which the service members resided, or are you sharing this? Um, is this a study that's going to be shared sort of throughout um, America, America's Warrior Partnership and all of their affiliates and that sort of thing so that it's an education for all and not just the, the communities that actually participated in the study? No, it's it's both and all. Okay, wonderful. Um, yeah, so the relevant, like, if, if it's relevant to a specific community, that information is is definitely, you know, through governor's challenges, mayor's challenges, or, you know, collaboratives, where, you know, to the partners in that community that are working directly with with the, the veteran population mm-hmm. and, and to help train and disseminate that information throughout their community. For those that um, are like communities, and maybe that there wasn't a particular, there wasn't enough data collected around around that that uh, area, and that's going to be particularly your rural areas, if I'm honest, Sherry. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 
but that's the that the rural areas are the areas of most um, needing of this education and this information. And so it would be a, disseminating that, ensuring that our rural communities are are educated on, on what's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Understood. So do you anticipate um, like a follow on sort of. I don't know if campaign is the right word, but based on the information that you receive and once it's, you know, all collected and um, dispersed in, in, in a great form or, you know, graph or, or all of the statistics are out there, um, are you then thinking that there will be yet another sort of campaign or drive to disseminate that information so that it's it's an educational opportunity for all not just maybe um maybe not just feedback for uh the how can i say it um nonprofit entities sharing the information with nonprofit entities i would imagine that would happen but also um i don't know i i I feel it's like everybody. It, yeah, yeah. I feel like everybody. everybody should be educated about it, not yeah. just not just um, you know one particular section or um, specifically uh, you know if we're talking explosive ordnance disposal, it's not just us that we get the information. Mm-hmm. We're going to share it, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that way maybe there are depending on what what you guys find. Um, Maybe there are things that nonprofit entities could potentially do to tweak their programming to better understand and support our veterans and their families as well. So, um, I, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to collect and, um, you know, think about, but, um, it's important. And and as good stewards of, of this, and this is why I move, you know, I, I, it is research, but I, you know, I, I like to call it, you know, resource. Um, as good stewards of that information is attained, you know, it's, it's on us to develop the prevention strategies that can work within more than just the, uh, the nonprofit sectors and the communities. I mean, this is where I was talking about, you know, uh, schools, a school in that community element. And I'm not talking just colleges and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure. talking about uh, primary and, you know, uh, secondary education systems, whatever makes up uh, your community. And this is, this is, uh, this is kind of a, an America's warrior partnership thing. But when I'm, when I go into communities and I, and I meet with the, the prospective collaboratives and I don't see I don't see the 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 maybe business leaders in there, or I don't see the librarian administrator in there, or I don't see the police force or EMT represented. It's not a representative sample of the community, and I think it's really important for our collaboratives to be inclusive of what the entire community looks like, because it's going to be the entire community that's going to need to have this information and know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, you know, that one of the, you know, pieces of the mission for America's warrior partnership is to educate. So I, I you know, 
here we go, right? I mean, once you get yep. this information, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, so that's fantastic. And, you know, appreciate all of the work and thought that has been put behind it, Cherie, because I can't imagine trying to develop a program <laughs> and and not really, maybe initially not really knowing where it's going to going to land and and here you are 4 years later pushing out you know this information and trying to get people to participate that have lost a loved one um in in the last 2 years by um either suicide or an, an unnatural cause so again um I would love to reiterate I'd love for you to reiterate um, and tell our audience how they can actually help with Operation Deep Dive and, and gathering this important information. Um, the best way to do it would be to reach out to us directly mm-hmm. um, through America's Warrior Partnership Operation Deep Dive. Okay. On, on there um, is our contact details. Okay. Anytime anybody has a question, you can contact us. It does not obligate if you are thinking that you would like to interview, be interviewed, but you're just not sure, you can contact us. That does not obligate you to do an interview. Um, so I think that's really important for, for people to know mm-hmm. that ask away, ask questions. Okay. Um, in addition to that, um, on that same site, you can opt in to Operation Deep Dive. And we will send uh, once a month, we push out uh, to those subscribed members a little bit of data that we're seeing, um, not from the qualitative, not from the interview side, but from the, the other uh, retrospective data that we're collecting, which is... Um, which is uh, all the death records from 2014 to 2018 that we've been verified with the DOD, who in fact was former service members and who were not. Um, and we send out, we send out findings of what we're seeing, seeing around suicide and non-natural causes amongst those identified as well. So those are two ways to do that. I want to, I want to make sure that, I emphasize when I say former service members, that is inclusive of National Guard, reservist, uh, someone that only served one day, uh, can be dishonorable discharge. If, if you raised your hand to support, protect, to defend and protect this country, and you died by suicide or non-natural causes, then your family and friends can reach out to us to be interviewed. Okay. So. All right. Thank you for that. And is there a, a particular era? Does it have to be post 9-11, Cherie, or where, what are we? Um, no. No. No, okay. it does not. All right. Wonderful. Okay. And I um, think, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I can say, um, in fact, the – preliminary findings that we have now from eight states currently with with the state data verified by um, DOD as to former service members that 18 to 35 is is what we're seeing was the was the highest uh, age range mm-hmm. around um, 
death by suicide and the other non-natural causes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, also, it's, you know, I, I would like to just say again that it doesn't have to be someone who um, maybe knew this person so, so well, or does it have to be somebody that was very close to this this particular person? No, that's why that's why it's that's why we try to get three to four. Okay. For um, whereas, like, it, if it's an employer, they may just know the employment questions that we're we're going to ask, mm-hmm. but they may not know about their marriage. They may not know about you know what they did in their free time. But the best friend may have, and then the parent or, you know, siblings may, you know, that's, that's where it's very, very important to ensure three to four persons are interviewed around this, this individual um, to complete that, complete mm-hmm. that narrative. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's kind of like putting a puzzle together almost mm-hmm. um, from various people. And um Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, As I said earlier, I think, Cherie, if we get a lot of, you know, feedback in reference to Operation Deep Dive within our our community, maybe having a question and answer sort of situation might be um, advantageous or I can send you the questions and, you know, if we have questions from the community, I can send them to you and you can answer them and I can share with our community or what have you. However, we can... um, potentially get some participation. Obviously, there is absolutely no pressure for anyone to do this. However, if you choose to, you're contributing to the greater good of of trying to figure out maybe some of the whys. And uh, so, yeah. Absolutely. I'd be open to to any any kind of format of, you know, that resonates with um with our with the listeners mm-hmm. um and I, I i mean i'm also open to if you wanted to do a um a forum mm-hmm. because there's interest in having conversations or or talking through this more um for those who who have lost um i'm happy to do that as well i appreciate that i mean clearly on a on a podcast it's you know we touch on things but we we don't do the deep dive here <laughs> so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but you know if if folks do have questions they have the ability to reach out and and just inquire more and i would encourage anyone who may be interested to do that and um yeah that sounds wonderful and thank you for being open to that and uh, all of the information that you have shared with us today, Cherie, about Operation Deep Dive and also the interesting start that you had in your career of social work and um, appreciate all that you do for our veterans and the, and the community at large. So um, we, we appreciate all that you do. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I feel like we, uh, we are always evolving and planning for the future in the nonprofit world and, uh, we are. We always try to prepare ourselves to pivot uh, to meet the needs of the military community. Um, does America's Warrior Partnership have more exciting plans for the future? Um, seems like we are always doing that. As the as you said, you know, I mean, the communities and and the military community particularly is always evolving. But yeah, a couple of really um, really neat things 
exciting that we are doing is um, we are we are building communities. Um, so America's Warrior Partnership communities um, in rural and tribal areas. So we are we're working um, with the Panhandle Warrior Partnership, which covers Panhandle, Florida. We're building that community with them. Um, Apache County, which is uh, in Arizona and and covers um, a couple of other states that are right there, the Navajo Nation in particular. Um, Dine Nazba is the community group there. Uh, the Alaska Warrior Partnership we are starting and the Indian Indiana Indianapolis uh, Warrior Partnership uh, we are starting as well. So um, those are some new and exciting builds that uh, we currently have underway to, to focus around our rural and tribal communities. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Always growing, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Always um, learning. As yes, well. <laughs> absolutely. Always learning. There's always something to learn for sure. And um, it's good to be in a position to be able to, um, you know, pivot and meet the needs of the community as, as it, you know, unfolds. Uh, mm. Things change all the time. So it's good. Um, well, again, I thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. And before I let you go, Cherie, I always like to have a little bit of fun with my guests and ask about some of their favorite things. So how are you feeling about that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Okay, perfect. Um, all right. How about your favorite food? I know you've traveled quite a bit and um, being in England for a while, do you have a favorite food from there or here or anywhere else? If I'm honest, and I know this isn't a food, it's just chocolate. chocolate. Anything in chocolate. Okay. So <laughs> um, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, it yes. doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, you know, I could do all of them. I my probably favorite is is dark uh-huh. uh, chocolate. Okay. Um, if I had to tell you an actual food, and this goes back to my my roots, mm-hmm. you know, South Louisiana, it's 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 always going to be you know um, crawfish, uh, grits, and gumbo. All right. You know. Sounds good. Gumbo is always good. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Well, what do you do to uh, rejuvenate and relax? I mean, clearly you um, are in a position of helping people constantly and figuring out and meeting the needs of the community. So what do you do to help um, yourself relax and rejuvenate? Um, I've always been drawn to water. Mm -hmm. I swam. um, I swam for several years and uh, lifeguarded, but uh, I... I tend to be around water, um, whether that's a lake or the bay, actually, in particular in Florida, um, and, you know, the ocean. But I like to jet ski. Um, I like to watch the dolphins or, you know, that are, that are out in the bay. And um, that's kind of what I do to rejuvenate or relax. Okay. The other thing, and this is really silly, but this is the this is something that I do every morning that I start my day, mm-hmm. um, and it is the Bobby Bones Show. And it's <laughs> it's not a plug, I promise. But 
I, from 9 to 10 in the morning, um, Eastern time, I reserve that time to, to listen to the Bobby Bone show. Uh-huh. So that, that keeps me upbeat with morning cornies and good news stories and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome. And for you to be disciplined enough to be able to schedule that time and do that, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, and what a, what a great way of doing a little bit of self-care before you get your, get your day started. So I like it. And, you know, there's so many heavy things in the world. It's nice to have a lighthearted start. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How about a favorite vacation spot? That's going to be the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I cultivated such a great network of family or friends that I call family. Um, and so it's it's not only the country, but but the uh, people that that I was very blessed to become a part of that network. Very nice, very nice. Um, how about um, a fl- a favorite flower or fragrance? Mm. Well, my favorite flower is hands down tulips. Any kind of tulip, doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what family, doesn't matter whether they're standing straight up or they're drooping. Um, My favorite flowers, uh, tulips, Mm -hmm. which they don't really have a smell. No, they Um, don't, but they're just beautiful. (laughs) They are. They just, they make me happy. Mm -hmm. They're very happy flower. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, is there anything that you would like to add um, before we say so long on this podcast um, for our listeners to to hear or um, encourage them or anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I'd just like to say that um, that we we are looking, you know, for for people to interview, and we understand that this is that this is a very vulnerable and difficult conversation. But I just want to make sure that that listeners know that we are supportive of that and we are recognizing that this this is a part of their grief process. And if if they are comfortable to please reach out so that we can get upstream around what's happening with our former service members. Okay. All right. Well, Cherie, thank you again for your time and all of the work that you're doing with Operation Deep Dive to hopefully get some answers. And, um, you know, I'm just going to put it out there that I encourage everybody to to check it out and, and, you know, reach out and ask questions if you have them so that you have a better understanding of what the process is. But, uh Again, thank you for all of your work and my best to you and all the good folks at America's Warrior Partnership. Thank you. And thank you again, Sherry, for having me um, speak with you today. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.